Welcome back to What We Believe and Why. Our discussion of prayer continues now. Here's Pastor George. Well, if you've been along on this journey, you've realized that there is an awfully lot to talk about in prayer. The ways in which people pray, to whom we pray, and believe it or not, there's still more. We're going to look at object of prayer, posture in prayer, the purpose of prayer, and even more. We've looked at the to whom. Now we're going to look at some additional key issues, starting with this one. The to whom question that we looked at just moments ago actually wasn't fully addressed. There's more to it. The issue persists even if we've gotten beyond the issues of statues, saints, and intercessors, and even if we are praying directly to God, we still get confused about the object of our prayer. And here's what I mean. To hear some of us pray, you might think that it was necessary to insert Lord, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit into each prayer to ensure all members of the Godhead are addressed. Our prayers often sound like this, Father, we thank you for our sister, Lord, who we bring before you, and we just ask you, Jesus, to heal her back pain, Lord, that she might be restored, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort her and counsel her. Be her foundation, Lord Jesus, that her weakness would become strength. Thank you, Abba Father, for loving her. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this prayer heard by God? Of course. But it is, in a sense, overstuffed with names for God, and even with instructions to each member of the Godhead based on our concepts of their differing roles. Perhaps this technique is intended to avoid directing the prayer to the wrong person of the Trinity, or to ensure all of them hear it. Just to be safe, maybe our prayer should begin to whom it may concern. I'm kidding, of course. Yet it would serve us well if we remembered this key doctrine of the Christian faith. We believe that there is one God in three persons, in mutual submission, mutually glorifying each other, in an eternal loving relationship. The key is three persons, but just one God. So when we pray, It doesn't matter whether we pray to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Each one is sovereign God. So to whom do we pray? We pray to God. Pick one if you want, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, or pick two, or even all three. Just don't try to squeeze in all three for fear of getting it wrong. You can't get it wrong. Your prayer will be heard. Now, here's another question about the purpose of prayer. Do we pray in order to give each other advice? You'd probably quickly answer no. After all, when I pray, my prayer is with my Creator. It is communion and relationship with God. It is a part of my intimacy and my covenant. In praying to God for you, I'm talking to God about you. I am not talking to you. Or so I suppose. Yet we often use prayer as a guise for counseling or correcting one another. For example, 
Bob approaches me with a question about faith and giving. So I suggest we go to the Lord about these concerns, and I pray, Father in heaven, please show Bob that he must give his full tithe as a sign of his faith in you, knowing you will reward him. Now that is not a prayer to God. That's me manipulating Bob by pretending I'm praying. I can also give wrongly psychological advice when I'm praying. Somebody says, I'm really struggling with my husband. Would you pray for me, please? We ought to pray willingly, of course. What we oughtn't do is counsel with a prayer something like this. Lord, please teach Chris, as your word reveals in Ephesians 5, to submit to her husband as a wife should, so it will go well with her. Or alternately, I might have prayed, Lord, teach Chris to stand on her own two feet and resist the oppressive words and actions of her husband. Now, neither one of those are prayer. They are both counseling disguised as prayer. Are there times when good counsel is needed in addition to prayer? Certainly. But what often happens is the person praying becomes an instant psychologist, offers advice instead of going to God with the need. The free advice is masquerading as prayer, and it is not prayer. Avoid this. This tactic of disguising advice as prayer also happens on a large scale. Countless times I've been in a church where the pastor, under the guise of prayer, exhorts the congregation to do one thing or another. It was a lecture to the church, but made to sound like a prayer to God. Often this is even done weekly. The pastor preaches, then prays the pastoral prayer, which is just the sermon points repeated in the form of a prayer to God. That's not prayer. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer isn't some big bucket into which we dump all of the advice we want to give so that it all sounds holy and submitted to God. When we go to God in prayer, let's actually pray to Him, not each other. Perhaps that sounds harsh, but in truth, we have developed some odd practices which we call prayer, but which are not. Now, here's something else to look at. Posture. Scripture records a variety of postures during prayer. Standing, kneeling, sitting, prostrate, hands spread, beating the chest, and other instances where we have no idea at all what the posture was. One posture not recorded in Scripture is folded hands, either hands pressed together or fingers interlaced. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just not recorded in Scripture. It doesn't mean it's not legitimate. It's just not recorded in Scripture. Theories abound about the origins of the folded hands posture. Some evidence suggests that when the Crusades were underway to retake the Holy Land, the Jews there, who apparently also had the habit of folding their hands in prayer, were told by their rabbis that they were no longer to pray that way, since it was how Christians prayed. 
Some argue that the Jews had adopted this posture from the Christians, while others believe Jews had long used this form as a paradigm dating all the way back to Abraham's thigh, but that they mostly stopped during the Crusades. And there are several other theories as well. We don't know which, if any, is true. So, hands held together is traditional. It's just not recorded in Scripture. It's ironic that this has become the norm in so many churches and that the scriptural forms are often shunned. More commonly in Scripture, hands are lifted in what is often called the orans position. Orans is simply Latin for praying. Here are a couple of scriptures. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you, when I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And another I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I find it an interesting insight into our cultural biases that this common form of prayer in Scripture is seen by many modern Christians as affected or Pentecostal or unsophisticated and embarrassing to do, that is, lifting our hands in prayer. We are an odd bunch, aren't we? Of course, the efficacy of our prayer doesn't depend on whether our hands are raised or folded or whether we stand, sit, or lie prostrate face to the ground. Prayer is about the conversation of one's heart with the heart of God, and thus all these postures are acceptable to God. It's the posture of the heart that really matters. But I'm not going to let us off quite that easily. Posture really does communicate a lot about us. We modern-day Christians are so stuck in our heads that we think anything we do with our bodies is somehow unsophisticated or anti-intellectual, and therefore many of us pray only in our heads and only with words. If I want to tell Jane I love her, either romantically or as a friend, one way is to say, Jane, I wanted to let you know that I really love you. Now, those are sweet enough sounding words. But if I give Jane a warm hug, I don't have to say them. I can say them also, but the hug communicates my affection even without words. And I experience my expression of love to Jane differently If I only speak to her, or if I hug her, we need to be as aware of the language of the body as we are of the words that come out of our mouth. The same is true with God. He doesn't require certain postures of us when we pray, but there are things about prayer and posture that are tied to the attitude of our heart and our approach to the throne of grace. Posture affects how I experience my relationship with him, and that matters. We'll look more deeply into this the next time we come together. Thank you, George. Well, the topic of prayer is a rich one, and so we'll be returning to it when we get together next time. You may not be aware, entire programs are available for you to review at our website, What We Believe and Why. And we encourage you to take advantage of that resource. And we hope you're going to join us next time we are together for What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch.